So we are in Acts chapter 6. Um, up till now, we have seen a whole bunch of stuff that God has done. We've seen miracles. We've seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We have seen the gospel preached to those that really don't want to hear it. And we've seen people arrested. We've seen people persecuted. Uh, then set free and told, don't talk about it. And then, of course, they carry on. So they're arrested again and then they're set free and they're told, don't talk about it because that worked so well the first time. And this church, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is just unstoppable. It is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ living in his people and having the same effect that it had when he himself walked on the earth. Before I read uh, where we're going to in Acts today, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever had an issue with something in church? and not knowing what to do about it. I have. There have been times when I've been in churches and sometimes it's a little thing, sometimes it's actually quite a big thing, and I didn't know what to do about it. Maybe you bite your tongue, just grin and bear it if it's not too serious. Maybe if it's serious, you still would just grin and bear it. Um, That has been my strategy at times. Um, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not good for your soul. And it's not what we're called to do. We are called to live and walk in the light, are we not? Maybe you might ask one or two close friends whether they've noticed the same thing. Not for gossip. There absolutely can be a darkness that can take hold and it can turn into something that's not good. But just so you, you just make sure it isn't you, you ask as a sanity check. There are One of the privileges in my life is that my dad does that with me sometimes. You know, he who taught me loads of other stuff, he will occasionally, these days, when he's got a concern, say, what do you think about this? And I'll get to chat it through with him, and it's from a good place. It's not from a dark place. Ideally, you would feel free and able to raise it with people in leadership so that they will hear it and treat it seriously. I mean, that's the ideal, right? That'd be amazing. Maybe, even better, you could see how you could be a part of the solution. Quite often, we notice the things that we are called to help fix. Have you noticed that? The things that annoy you, the things that vex you, the things that frustrate you, are the very things that God is giving you to do. Well, (laughs) in the book of Acts... I'm only just getting going. (laughs) In the book of Acts, chapter 6 we are going to see a problem that arose in the early church. And we're going to see exactly how the apostles handled it. So if you've got your Bible, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a convert from Antioch. 
They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So what was the problem? Well, the church was growing. I mean, it'd be nice to have that problem, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the problem that your church... No, that wasn't the problem. The problem is that the church was growing, but there were teething problems that were surfacing as a result. Even in, for all at this point in time, the gospel has not really gone outside Israel. It's not even really gone outside Jerusalem apart from those that were there on the day of Pentecost and would have gone back to where they were living because they, they travelled into that time and they put their faith in Jesus then, the gospel was really focused on Jerusalem still. And you would think that, hey, everyone's from the same place, everyone knows what's what, we're all the same culture. But no, there were two groupings within the Jerusalem church. There was the Hebraic Jews, and these would have been the people that had lived all of their life around Israel. Their main language would have been Aramaic, it would have been, they would have been able to speak Greek because you needed to to be able to sell things and to just exist in the world at that time. But the daily life language was Aramaic and they would have lived in and amongst the people of Israel as faithful Jews, etc., etc. But there are also the Hellenistic Jews. And these were the people who would have been Jewish ethnically and Jewish by faith, but as part of the dispersal of Israel, as part of the, the exile to Babylon and things like that, there were a whole bunch of Jewish people that were part of what they called the diaspora, the people that were outside of Israel, still living in devotion to Yahweh, still faithfully following the, what Moses taught in the scriptures, but their daily language was Greek because they lived in a place where the daily language was Greek. They would have not maintained it. This is why we have, for example, the Septuagint. We have the, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. It wouldn't be a Greek translation to another language, would it? But it's this, this version of the Bible that the early church kind of standardized on for the Old Testament. They didn't, we don't really have a lot of Hebrew, Hebrew Old Testament use at that point. It was a lot of the Septuagint that was in use. So what you got is these two different groups united in their Jewishness by faith and ethnicity and now united in Jesus, but each speaking different languages with slightly different cultures moving in different circles. And what you see is the Greek-speaking Jews start to feel that their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you remember at this point in time in Jerusalem, the disciples did a lot of communal living, a lot of pooling of resources and sharing of resources. And there was this daily distribution of food. And they had this complaint. And it was introducing a strain in the unity of the fellowship. A unity which in Ephesians, Paul tells us, Jesus died to bring about. If you remember, he says, in Christ, God in Christ has destroyed that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile so that we may be one new man in Christ. Well, even the division walls within Judaism, Christ died to break it down so that we can be one new man in Christ Jesus. And this was at risk. 
first time we see it at risk in the New Testament. Now, it probably was not an intentional oversight from the Hebraic Jews. I really don't believe it was. I think living in Jerusalem at the time, they were probably the majority of the church. I think it was probably a bit like the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. A smaller group, a smaller faction, more easily overlooked. And I think this really highlights the challenges of practical administration in a rapidly growing church. So how are the apostles going to solve it? Well, first of all, they don't ignore it until it spirals out of control. They address it. They recognize the need for it, the severity of it, and they do something about it. Even though they were of the Hebraic group themselves, they don't allow that inequality and division to continue. But they also don't allow themselves to be distracted from the commission that the Lord Jesus gave to them to proclaim the gospel. You notice that in verse 2. It would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now, John Stott, in his um, Bible Speaks Today commentary on Acts, or exposition, really, it's not a commentary, um, he frames this as a third satanic attempt to derail and destroy the church. Mm -hmm. The first one was Ananias and Sapphira with corruption and hypocrisy that he tried to plant in the church, but God rooted it out. Then you've got the various bits of persecution trying to cow the church into just towing the line, keeping quiet, being faithfully silent. But no, God did not allow it. And then this third one is an attempt of the devil to sow division and distraction from what God has called the apostles to. So what was the solution? Well, instead, the apostles recognize their limitations. That's what they're doing here. They're not saying that it isn't important. They're not saying it's below them, that this is somehow lesser than prayer and preaching of the word. They're saying it is so important that because we've got this calling, we need someone else to take responsibility for administering this, for doing this, for taking care of this. So they asked the church to recognize and recommend seven men who will be charged to administer the distribution of the food fairly. It's not because it's below them as if Jesus hadn't washed their feet at the Last Supper, because Jesus did. He showed them the heart attitude that will even wash the feet of those that are supposed to be serving him. No, it's a simple recognition that they can't do everything. And there are other important things in church life. And if you look in Luke, Luke has a particular thing about the importance of caring for widows. So this is an important thing, and it must be taken care of. So if we can't do it, someone else has to. It's a little bit like when Moses found himself overwhelmed by Israel's need. Do you remember he was overwhelmed by the Israelites coming with every little grievance, every little disagreement, and he just couldn't rule over all of them. And so he took Jethro's advice, I think it was Jethro, to appoint 70 elders within Israel who could take care of the routine stuff, who could take care of the, the common or garden stuff that was relatively straightforward. And then they would be able to escalate the significant stuff to Moses, who would either give a ruling or take it right back to the Lord and find out what the Lord was saying about it. This is what the apostles are doing. They can't do it all, so they're getting people that can help them and support them. But notice they don't seek 
to dominate or impose their will. They could have easily said, okay, Bob, Jim, John, come on, get it sorted. But they don't. They go to the church and say, you pick out seven men who will do it. You pick them out, recommend them, we will appoint them to do it. Now, no doubt, if they'd chosen, there's no, yeah, there's no one called Bill in the room, Bill over there, and they had serious concerns about Bill, then, yeah, I'm sure they would have said, mm, maybe not, think about that, just that one person again. But they put the power in the hands of the church to recognise and recommend And notice the qualifications that the apostles outlined. They needed to have good reputation. They needed to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. This shows us three things. First of all, because they had to have a good reputation, they had to have good integrity. This shows that they are treating this need for ministry to the people seriously. They needed people of good reputation so that they could trust them to administer fairly and impartially. The fact that they're asking for people full of wisdom shows that they're treating this practically. They wanted people recognised for their wisdom, which, in Hebrew culture, was not, I think, therefore I am. Hmm. It wasn't ponderous thoughts. Wisdom is about knowing the best way to live in Hebrew thought. So this is about people that are practically minded rather than deep and profound. The fact that they're saying that they have to be full of the spirit shows that they were treating this spiritually. Like you could say, well, this is just a simple thing. This is logistics. This is, we've got this much food, this many people, therefore each person has this much food. And duh, 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 duh. You could be forgiven for saying that is a practical thing. Why have you got to be full of the spirit? Well, yes, administration is practical, but all ministry and serving in the church is to be done in the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? I'm going full circle a little bit here because when I was in a church that didn't believe in the, in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and they were like, well, you can make a cup of tea and that's a gift of the Spirit. And I was like, you can make a cup of tea without the Holy Spirit. Actually, from my experience, you can probably make a better cup of tea without the Holy No. Anyway, but in the church... It is not enough to just be good at something. If you are doing something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is vital that you are full of the Spirit doing it. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't just anoint the so-called spiritual stuff. He anoints the practical stuff. He anoints the nuts and bolts stuff that needs to be done. Because actually, God is God of it all. Our God reigns, we've sung this morning. God is God of it all. It's people a little bit like me who aren't so practically minded who I think have sometimes denigrated the practical. They've said, well, of course, the really important stuff is studying the word and prayer and this and that other stuff needs to be done, but it's not. No, it's vitally important. The apostles highlight how important it is. In the end, the church recommends seven men. Notice, all with Greek names. There is not a Hebrew name among them. In fact, one of the men was a convert from Antioch. 
from right outside Jerusalem, right outside Israel. Now this shows, I think, that the Hebraic group in the church realised the unwitting error they'd fallen into and wanted to make sure that it didn't happen again, even at the risk of themselves being shortchanged. Because that would be my fear if I was in the Hebraic group. It's like, hang on, hadn't we better have just one? Just one to look out for our interests. No. Seven Greek men, Hellenistic men. And they were putting their trust in these men to know what it's like to be left out and ensure that no one ever falls through the cracks. Now, although they're not called this here in this passage, these seven men are really the early deacons in the church. In the book of 1 Timothy, we can see some qualifications for something that Paul calls deacons, servants within the church. And these are the first example of them. This is the start of church government over and above just the apostles that the Lord Jesus put in place. And notice, it isn't from some application of theory or doctrine. This is just trying to address a very practical need that arose in the church and under the anointing and leading of the Holy Spirit, putting in place deacons to serve and help. And we can see the fruit of it in verse 7. So the word of God spread... The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. You see, the church resolved the internal problem so that the apostles were no longer distracted, so that they can continue proclaiming the gospel, so that unity of the body can cause the body to build itself up in love, just like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. There is great fruit in salvation and there's continued growth of the church with even some of the priests coming to faith in Jesus. These are probably some of the same priests who would have been in the hearing with Peter and John and the other apostles in previous chapters in the book of Acts. But because they're seeing this unity of the body, because they're seeing the signs and the wonders, because they're seeing the beautiful church that Jesus is building, they come into the faith too. Come on. I want to bring this home for us a little bit. And first of all, I want to say, this passage shows us that we each have a calling and a commission from the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. We each have a part to play in his mission. Because we are all called to serve. Following the example of the Lord Jesus who came to serve, not to be served. Amen? But we are all different. And each one has a different part to play. See, not everyone in this room is interested in what I'm doing right here and now. Well, hopefully you're interested in what I'm doing right here and now. You're not interested in doing what I'm doing right here and now. You're not interested in preaching. You don't want to stand up in front of people and tell people what the word of God is saying. I love it. I love studying the word. I love getting that sense of what God is saying to a people. But some people don't. It isn't where your heart is at, where your passion is at. Not everyone is practically minded or loves administration. I could administrate. I have to work jolly hard at it. And it takes me a lot of effort to administrate when there are people who just live and breathe it. They love it. 
They just want to see stuff in good order and make it flow nicely. And it's brilliant that there are people like that. Brenda. <laughs> Not everyone is passionate about evangelism and outreach. Not everyone loves to stand at the door and welcome people to the church meetings. Not everyone dreams of prophesying or healing. Not everyone is driven to partner with the king of justice in sorting out inequalities and injustices, both in the church and in the world. Not everyone is pastorally gifted, able to walk with others through difficult times of life. And we should each value and pursue what we are called to do. Amen? It is vital that we know what Jesus has called us to. But don't pigeonhole yourself or other people. Because you see, Stephen was one of the seven, seven men who was called to be a deacon and to administrate this food distribution. But we see in verse 8, it's almost like being put in that position of service, released him again to become a bit of an evangelist, to move in signs and wonders. It says in verse 8, full of grace and power, Stephen performed great wonders and signs among the people. We're going to see next week that actually causes a bit of problem for him. And he has the privilege and honor of being the first martyr who lays his life down for Jesus. Philip, another one of the seven, yes, got it right first time, another one of the seven men chosen, well, he ends up an evangelist and gets sent to Samaria. And then he gets sent to an Ethiopian eunuch. And then mystically, cryptically, it seems to suggest that he's translocated from one place to another place after seeing that Ethiopian eunuch, and he preaches there. If they pigeonhole themselves to, well, now our job is just to distribute the food, make sure that's done well, they would have missed out on the extra calling that God had that wasn't obvious on that first day. So know what you're called to, but don't pigeonhole yourself and resist other callings that God may lay upon you. Second thing I want to take out is it takes the whole body to minister to the body and to the world. Amen? None of us are adequate to the task that the Lord has put before his church. I'm not, you're not. Some of us are specialists, while others are more generalists, but none of us are equipped to do what only the whole body of Christ can do. Because it takes the whole of the body of Christ to model and express the Lord Jesus in this world. It just does. He is too good, too glorious, too wonderful, beautiful, majestic for any one of us to express him fully. Is he not? So it takes the whole body of Christ. But it is all spiritual. There is no spiritual practical divide. There is no sense that the apostles were more spiritual than the deacons they appointed. No. And there's no sense that one is more important than the other. It is all needed. The apostles recognized that their calling was to mission and outreach, but they knew that social action and care were also important. So they made sure it was addressed. One of the mind shifts I've had to go through in my professional career in going from someone who's responsible for doing it to someone who's managing people doing it was something my boss used to say to me. 
He used to say, John, don't do it. Get it done. Don't do it yourself. You have a team. Work with your team. Get them to do it. And that's a little bit what they're doing here with the deacons. They're not doing it. They're making sure it's done. And the answer wasn't prioritizing one over the other, but releasing the right people to the right task so that all the important stuff gets done. So you see, we should each value and pursue what we are called to do while also valuing, enjoying and celebrating what others bring to the table. Amen? Amen. The third thing I want to say is that we are in the process of identifying needs in Trinity Life Church that you might be the solution to. As a first-time lead planter and as a little bit of a generalist, some of you know that one of my struggles has been knowing when it's my responsibility to take the lead on something, to model something for others to follow and pick it up later, and when it's better to ask others to fill in the gaps that my limitations provide. Because God has designed me with gaps that mean I need you guys. He has. Now, this was most obvious last year when my name was on the rotor way more than it should have been. But one of the things I've really loved in 2023 is seeing people who are part of us stepping into areas where you can serve. It's been beautiful to see. For example, a worship team is forming. It's brilliant. We've got Roger and Shelley who have come along. We've got Cindy who's joining. Phil is taking the lead on making sure that that is well organized and we all know what to do at what time. Bronwyn, your drums sound amazing when you're bashing on them. I love this worship team that God is building up. Sorry, skillfully plays. I bash my guitar and that's why it sounds like it sounds like. Sorry, I was applying my standards to you. Thank you, Eddie. Sunday setup sounds mundane, but it has been shared out. Eddie and Brenda, Dave and Janet, fetch the gear, and a lot of you have at different points rocked up a bit early to get this space ready for us to meet in. Brenda is going to take the administration of that, of setting up that rotor forward as soon as I give her the list of people who said they're happy to do it. Sorry, I'm not an administrator. <laughs> Sunday set down is a real group effort. Everyone in this room stacks chairs, puts, to, puts away the different bits of material, sets down the IT, packs up the cables, and then carries it out to whoever's car needs to get it. It's beautiful to see. Preaching has been shared out, sometimes with guest speakers, but actually people in this room have had your first try at preaching or your second try at preaching, and you've given it a go, and it's been brilliant. Trinity Life Kids has always been super well organised by Becky. But this year, what she's been doing is bringing in people like Laluna and Michaela and our Anna to go and help out in that space so that it's not all on her shoulders, so that it gets shared out and that the kids get the benefit of that. Stratton Festival, just before the summer holidays, was a team of us going to where the community meet, providing fun, providing some community support, and actually giving away a whole load of books that speak about Jesus, including a New Testament to someone with a, a little necklace saying, which, who said, well, I'm always looking for something to believe. Lord bless it, may she read it and find life. 
Lunches together are a community affair. The Hope Explored course, really well attended and gives me faith that we can run it with a smaller team and invite our friends in to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Contributions in meetings, even today, people in this room have sensed what the Lord is saying, what the Lord is stirring up and faithfully brought it. I have loved seeing this body come alive this year. It's been amazing. Now, there are other ways that we're looking at making some even more space. For example, uh, this term, we're going to start midweek things again. We're calling it church at home. And we're going to do it a bit differently. We're not just going to do it as a, a Bible study every week. Um, we're going to take the first week off so that the, the team that are helping run Trinity Life can get together and have a chat about what's going on. And then the second week is going to be what we're calling Word and Worship. The third week, we're going to call it Food and Fellowship. The fourth week is going to be what we're calling Prayer and Prophecy. How many times have you heard that on your church bulletin board? But we want to make space for us to seek God's face and not just talk at him, but hear from him about what we should be interceding into. And I would love someone to take responsibility for organising each one of those three. And by that, I mean where we're going to have it. We want to move it house to house so it's not falling too much on any one person. Um, in terms of word and worship, making sure that someone is primed to maybe reflect on the last months of preaching and thinking of one thing that really stuck with them and provoking some discussion in that space. For food and fellowship, making sure that we're doing some sort of bring and share and communicating that and championing that. And for prayer and prophecy, working out where we are, who can take a particular burden for a particular area for prayer in the course of that evening. So that's one area where if, if you want to do one of those three, please let me know. It'd be brilliant. Another one is a prophetic team, uh, probably a bi-monthly opportunity to gather those who have a hunger to hear the Lord's voice in the prophetic and provide a safe place to practice, to grow, to encourage one another and to mature in the gifting. We're going to get that going soon. And Hope Explored, I've mentioned it, but I want to gather a team to take it on and run with it to ensure that we have a space to invite people into so they can hear the good news. So those are some of the opportunities that are coming up over and above what you've already been stepping into. And this isn't, I hope you don't feel it's a cracking of the whip. Come on, get busy. No, this is Jesus has things for you to do. He has things that are going to bring life to you to do. I know this isn't true for anyone in this room, but this is being recorded. And also, I want to set a standard for how we make it so that this space is open for people who don't yet know Jesus. So if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you're invited to follow him. Join us and then find where he wants you to serve. As I said earlier, he came to serve, not to be served. After three years as rabbi, as master to his disciples, the night before he died on the cross, he humbled himself and washed their feet. And they did not wear shoes and socks. You might think that if I were to do, I'm not, and I'm not, don't worry. But if I were to slip my shoes off, there might be a less del than delightful aroma filling the room. It was even worse back then. They had sandals. They walked on dusty roads. They did not have sanitary toilets. Where do you think people took their gunk? 
they walked around and Jesus washed their feet. The Lord of life. The very next day, he took his service to the ultimate level and lay his life down, not just for his disciples, but for those who were taunting him, those who were despising him, those who were spitting at him. But it wasn't just for them. It was for you and me and for everyone else who has ever lived and everyone else who will ever live. And he did it to take our sins and wrongdoings on his shoulders taking our death upon himself so that we could receive his life, love and forgiveness in its place. And all we need to do is recognise that it was our sin that placed him there. Trust him when he says that it was enough to cover everything we've ever done wrong, both on purpose and the stuff we do accidentally without even thinking. And ask him to forgive us and give us new life. And when he does that, I can promise you, it will give you new life, it will give you new purpose, it will give you opportunities to serve him and others around you in a way that brings you to life. Even though it may require sacrifice and hardships on the way, let me tell you, it has been difficult at times planting this church for many people. But you know what? The joy of seeing this small, faithful group here that we know God is going to add to with people moving into the area, but with people coming to faith as they hear this gospel I've just reminded you of. Oh, it's worth it. It is so worth it. And do you know what? The sacrifice isn't over. There are going to be hard times. There really are. There are going to be times where we would really rather not but the Lord is saying, do, go. And if we're going to be faithful to him, we're going to go and do. But each with the gifting and the calling that he is giving us. Amen? Amen. If you take nothing else away from this morning, I want you to know that you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that you have a calling and a vocation from the Lord Jesus himself. And that that will play its part in building up his body and reaching out with his love so that people can hear and know that he is for them. Shall we pray? And then we're going to just sing one more song together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have given us life. You have given us purpose. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that we who were your enemies... You call friends. You lay your life down for us. And you call us and give us the dignity of a vocation in your kingdom. Lord, I want to thank you for the calling on every single person in this room. Lord, I pray that you will give each one of us clarity, passion and purpose to pursue what you have put in front of us to do. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Lord, we are privileged to do so. Lord, as Stephen has already prayed this morning, as Dave has already shared from your word, would you fill us with fire? Yes, 
Lord, would that spirit of the sovereign Lord rest upon us because we have been anointed to preach good news, to proclaim delivery to the captives and life to those in death. Lord, as we stand, fill us afresh with your spirit and send us out, Lord God, that we would bear much fruit to the glory of your name. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.